Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Our guest today is Cindy Morgan. We'll explore the early days of signing a record deal, her transformation through the years as an artist, and how Broadway almost came calling. This is Behind the Tunes. with Cindy Morgan, a singer, songwriter. You can learn all about her at cindymorganmusic.com. Cindy, thanks so much for being here today. Yes, thank you very much. It's good to be here. Now, I love to start these podcasts with stories um, of that connect me with those that I'm interviewing, if there is one. And so I have two with you. And so I didn't tell you about this before the interview on purpose because it's just more fun this way. And so (laughs) the first one may not be just great for either one of us in the grand scheme of things, but you were my very first concert. Oh, what? You were my very first concert I ever went to in person. It was back, um, it had been like 1995, 1996. It was in Memphis, Tennessee. At a place called Liberty Land. Does that ring a bell with you at all? I totally remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because you almost had a heat stroke or something that day playing Memphis in in July, probably. And so I was at my first concert, and so I was so pumped about it, and my sister took me, and I remember getting one of those like 8 by 10 black and white photographs, you know, and getting you to sign it. You're super gracious, super kind. And so, yeah, you were my very first concert. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, we're Okay, b- was that playing with a guy play guitar and a guy on like a little drum set? Was that was it a trio kind of thing? I think it was. I didn't I didn't I didn't recall that until you just said that, but now my brain's running back. I was like, I think that's exactly what it was. I just remember like we like thought shade in the trees or so. I just remember like back being backstage cuz it was so hot. Yes. So, um, Okay. And I went to more concerts after that. And so you, you apparently were good, you know, you did very well. And so I wanted to go to more. And so, uh, that's my first one, but here's the second one, which is kind of funny. I am, and I don't know why I remember this. Um, I don't know why this is in my head, but I think that one of your CDs was the very first compact disc I ever saw. Oh, (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. so graduated from cassette to CD. Yeah, yeah, graduated cassette oh, to CD. Man. And so it was either, I was, I was, uh, I'm the younger sibling in my family. And so my brothers and sister, my brother and sister apparently had it. And, you know, it was the a Reason to Live album. 
And yep. um, and so so it was either so here's the thing it was either you your album was either the first one or Reba McIntyre I can't I'm not a thousand percent sure, but it was one of those. You look yeah. super similar, so I can see how you. Well, they both had that. They had like you and Reba <laughs> at the same time. I just don't remember which one it was, but I don't I have no idea. I remember that. I have no idea why that is in my brain. But yeah, I think you were the first compact disc I ever saw. So that's well, something to I hold on to. Listen, sometimes, you know, I have two daughters and and when I'm like looking through some of my old stuff, because, you know, that's kind of like uh, when I pull out those old records, you're like, wow, mom, your hair was huge, you know, or something, you know, really demoralizing. But I'll like pull out a cassette and they're like, what is that? <laughs> you know, I don't even know. So, um, but it's it's pretty great. I feel like I uh, should I be. I guess I should be proud that my music was once on a cassette. You know, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's kind of nostalgic. Like you said, and that's that. That's what I've really been looking for this look for this interview because of the nostalgia of it for me. Both of those two things yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. That is. And um, now is now for your with your kids. Is it is that. It, when you go back to like a reason to live in the very beginning for you. Is that like a whole other lifetime ago for you, seemingly? Yeah, it really was, and it was for a lot of reasons. Because, um, you know, I I got married um, around. I got married uh, after on my listen. I got engaged on the listen tour, and listen was my fifth record okay. or uh, fourth fourth record and so if it was like a real life a reason to live under the waterfall mm-hmm. and then then uh, listen and so it was my fourth record and so yeah and you know that you get married and then you have kids and also my music really changed so under the waterfall was like a real like kind of line in the sand for me because I really changed the music that I was doing uh, that point forward. So yeah, those early records really do feel like a different life for me because because I think I was still really figuring out who I was, you know, as a musician and as a songwriter and artist. And so so you know, the records that I did past that point really did change everything for me so yeah it does feel like another lifetime i want to talk more about that transition as we move forward but i want to go back to come forward now as i was doing some research now you were you were kind of born northeast tennessee is that right like yeah so i was born in the kind of the tri-state area in that area yeah and so did you grow up there well sorry i was born in ohio but like quickly moved when I was one. Yes. And I grew up in East Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So you grew up in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. What was your journey to Nashville? Like, like how did, did it, did you do, was it this kind of the prototypical, I went there to pursue a career in music? Well, what happened was, um, I was, you know, I, I, I got out of high school. I moved back. I, I graduated. I went my senior year to school in North Carolina and I headed back to um, to East Tennessee and, you know, got a job and, you know, right out of 
you know, the summer after I graduated, I was, you know, working at Sonic, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, long story short, I ended up, um, a friend of mine entered me in a contest at Dollywood. Mm -hmm. It was the very first year that that it was Dollywood. And so Dolly hosted this talent contest. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And um, and anyway, I ended up being the the grand prize winner. And part of what you got was a contract at Dollywood, and then you got to go to Nashville and record music. And um, and so I did that. And I also worked at a recording studio in Knoxville. Hmm. And it was while I was working at Dollywood and working at this recording studio at Knoxville. I met a guy named Kirk Talley and Kirk Talley um, was in there. It was in a Southern gospel group called the Talley's and because he was friends with other entertainers on the park and he uh, got a copy of it, of a demo that I'd done and he sent it to John Mays Mm -hmm. at word. And John Mays said, Oh, I'd like you to bring it to Nashville. And said, Kirk and I drove down to Nashville and um, and John offered me a development deal. And so, of course, that ended up being why I moved to Nashville. So I I um, so that's that's kind of how I I found John and he found me was really through my friend Kirk and through working at Dollywood. The number of Christian artists who at some point in their story says there's this thing at Dollywood. I can't I can't. <laughs> do, you're the third or fourth person. Um, really? interviewing this, that at some point or another, Dollywood enters into their story. And so that's unbelievable. I, I, it blows me away every time. When you said Dollywood, I was like, oh my goodness, that's another person. Wow. That's that so Dollywood crazy. was, was there something at Dollywood happened that was huge in, in their music career. So yeah. so you signed a developmental deal. John Mays, um, who's been on the show, um, was was one that signed you. What So his d- developmental deal, do you remember what year that was? Yeah, I mean, that would have been in 90. Okay, so 90. Maybe 89, 89 maybe. All right, so it's 89 when or 90. I, yeah. And, yeah. and then your first album comes out in 1992. Mm-hmm. What was, describe to people, because we live in a world now where really developmental deals don't exist anymore. Describe, what was that, what did that look like for you from 89 until yeah. the release of that album in 92? Mm-hmm. So... So I was, you know, I had three jobs in Knoxville and, you know, and, and I was just what everyone else was doing, what, what everyone my age was doing, which was just working. And um, and so what happened was I drove down to meet John that first time and Kirk was with me then, my friend Kirk Talley. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he said, just I want you to come down every week. And we're going to set you up on a writing appointment. And so I would just schedule a day off once a week and I would drive to Nashville and I would write all day and I would drive back to Knoxville. And I did that every week uh, for several months. Um, and then he finally was like, you know, you, you probably should move down here. And um, so then I, I met a girl, Michelle Fink, it was her name then, and she worked at Reunion. And uh, and I and she was looking for a roommate, and so I became her roommate, and we're still good friends today. And 
Um, but anyway, and then when I moved to Nashville, I got a, I got a couple jobs again. I was working at the Weston Cooker. If you remember that place? <laughs> that, that was like, that was so like, you know, Nicole, Nicole Nordman. I mean, so many people worked at the Weston Cooker, but yeah. that was the spot. And then I worked at, an, uh, at McClure's and, um, Anyway, and I worked and then I would, it's my favorite, my favorite kind of like story about that time. And I think, you know, just knowing who your audience is, I think, you know, you grow up in a small town and, and you've got this, you know, crazy idea to be an, a writer, artist, or, you know, songwriter, singer, and everyone is just like, wow, okay when you're going to get a real job. I mean, because that's probably not going to work out. And, and so when you come to a place in that, like Nashville, where there is this kind of like zeitgeist in the air of like, Oh yeah, really? Me too. I mean, people just get you, they get what you're talking about. And so there was something really amazing about the, that time because I really felt, I felt understood. I felt like what I wanted to do was actually something worthy of pursuing. And um, so I would work at the Western Cooker. And I remember, you know, I mean, you got, you, you've talked to John, to John Mays, who is, you know, he's the president of Centricity. Mm-hmm. He's Lauren Daigle's, you know, label. And so, well, uh, he, he was then the same amazing, fantastic human being that he is today. And so, I remember he would come into the cooker because, you know, Word, the people at Word Records came in there to eat all the time. And he would never want me to wait on him because he'd be like, I feel so bad that you're bringing me my food. You know, I don't want you to do that, you know. And anyway, but I would I would do my shift at the Western Cooker and I was like a terrible waitress. I was like the worst because, I mean, my mind was so chaotic and so I'd be like, Wait, did they want honey mustard or ranch? Or, you know, I just couldn't keep anything straight. And I had all these nightmares about showing up naked, you know, with an apron on. I don't know. It was terrible. And so, but um, but I would change out of my little Western cooker uniform, you know, and have like mustard and mayonnaise stains on my cuffs. There was a Wendy's in the next door to the Western cooker and I would go into the bathroom at Wendy's and change into, you know, street clothes and go to John's office hmm. every day after work. And I would just stop by and, and, and he would, he would, you know, we would talk about books and he would like recommend things for me to read and he would play me new music. And he really, um, he like just opened the world up for me about artistry and about art and about things that penetrate your soul and that drive you to be uh, um, deeper in your in your craft. And that was such an amazing period of my life because he was really sowing those seeds into me. And um, so we did that for you know. Then we then he then he said, "Hey, I've got this guy. He's amazing. His name's Mark Hammond." and I really want to do a project with him. And so um, we just started writing. And um, and I didn't really get to, I mean, I didn't really, you know, and Mark was the kind of writer that 
it's basically top line writing. Like he has the lyric, he has the melody exactly how he wants it. Hmm. And so, you know, you've just got to like match that lyric up precisely to that melody. And I learned a lot by doing that, but it is not my preferred method of writing at all. Um, but I learned so much from Mark and, um, and I had to work hard to get, a, to get songs on that, you know, on that first project, but long way, long story short, it was just that process of writing and working and until we, we got a few songs that we recorded and then John then had to take them to the you know, the head office in Dallas, the word was in Dallas at that point, and get an approval. Um, And then we were able to do a whole record. Again, we were Cindy Morgan. So you you get the record out. Now, real life and a reason to live, those were, you're kind of saying it was different for you. Those are more kind of pop, right? Yeah. Okay. And so it's after those is when you began to transition. Yeah, and um, I think because I was really, I think I was less interested in doing very programmed music, and I really wanted to do more singer-songwriter music. So yeah, so Under the Waterfall definitely started going in that direction, Um, and then Listen was, of course, the complete break from all programming. And so that was just going back to really what you wanted to be maybe in the beginning? Well, you know, in the beginning... I mean, I was, I mean, I've always played piano and, and I always, you know, I mean, I, how could I throw more was, mm, yeah. I wrote that for the first record. And so, you know, that's, that's who I was, but I was still figuring out how to do a whole record of, you know, something like that. And um, so, but my, you know, I mean, I was definitely, they, they definitely, um, I, I wrote almost everything on the second record, but, but, you know, you, I had to work for that. I had to work to earn those spots, but, but yeah, I was just figuring it out because, um, I, you know, again, if John had not just fed into me and nurtured me, I, I don't know if I would have ever figured it out. So you transitioned to kind of this singer songwriter, I guess maybe more towards your heart, I guess would be a better way to say it. Let me ask you this, like what first got you into music just in life in general? Well, my parents, uh, my parents were both songwriters. I mean, to, um, you know, they didn't make a living at it, but they were both very passionate about writing and they both, my dad was a musician and my mother was a gospel singer and um, so, you know, it was definitely my whole life. I grew up with rehearsals in the living room. And so, I don't know, it was just like from a very, very young age, I felt like very, very, when I was writing a work, you know, some poetry or writing a song, I felt like, oh, this is who I am. You know, I just felt like yeah. I, I was home and um yeah so it was always just what i wanted to do were there people obviously your parents was it mainly them were there other people along the way that said hey you like you've got this you have the ability you have the talent that really kind of spoke that into your life was it mainly just your parents were there other people along the way too you know what i had a couple of really amazing like choir teachers Mm -hmm. mr wallace he was my you know he was my um 
my freshman and sophomore choir teacher. And he just, I remember, it's weird how people say certain things along the way that really change a perspective for you. And I remember him just giving me the advice. I had to go, like, sing this classical piece for some choral thing, some state choral competition. And he just told me, like, you, you just have to become that person. You know, you have to just become that persona. And there was something about when he said that that I was like, oh, okay. It's like acting. And, um, mm-hmm. and that really turned a light bulb on for me. But he was so – he was just always – um, just so encouraging and I want, want to say that it was really fun years later I think I'd finished maybe my sixth record and I got called to come and audition for the final I think there was the final four auditions for to be Belle on Broadway oh wow and um, and so anyway and because he loved you know he loved Broadway music and I remember taking the train into into New York to go do the audition and I called him and I was like and I hadn't talked to him in a long time but I was like hey guess where I'm going <laughs> <laughs> and it was just great because I just said I remember you telling me my freshman year of high school like I have to become the person and I was like I've been that's what I've been doing my whole career is trying to do that and so, and I just, it was a really neat little moment there. But yeah, choir teachers, they are just like heroes, heroes. What, the the Broadway thing for a second, was that something you, in the back of your, like you wanted to pursue? Did you stumble into that? What was that? No, I stumbled into it. I mean, I, I've always said it's really cool, but, but no, I just got a call. And what I think what happened was the former Belle on Broadway I had written a single for her. Oh. And um and I had sang the demo and then I ended up singing all the background vocals on her track and she was like, uh, you know, Kim Possible who it was, you know, the girl that played Kim <laughs> yeah. Possible. Yeah. So she I had written a song for her you know, I was written her single. And so I think she recommended me. That's my guess. <laughs> That that's a story in itself. We got to get that on another day. I don't want to keep you too long. That's that's hilarious, unbelievable. At the same time, my goodness. Buried in deep 
this who are your influences musically growing up who you're listening to so early like i think my sister had the Char- sergeant pepper's only hearts club band mm-hmm. record and i was like yeah that's my jam right there i mean i just <laughs> loved it um my 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 dad like played like bluegrass and we listened to a lot of classical music in my house classical bluegrass the Beatles. I loved Billy Joel mm-hmm. and Elton John, and I loved um, John Denver. Mm-hmm. And um, and oh my gosh, Dan Fogelberg is the best, you know. And um, so just those like super folky yeah. songwriters. I just love them. Uh, Carly Simon and mm-hmm. James Taylor, and um, and then I also loved. Um, I love the Doobie Brothers, and I loved Anita Baker and uh, Whitney Houston. And so, mm. you know, I think 
I loved a, a big, there was a big, broad group of, of people that I really was influenced by, but um, so many good artists. Yeah. Was there somebody, even in that group, that like, is your writing your first songs and you're shaping into an artist that you're like, this is who I want to be. This is the person right here. If I could be anybody, I'd be like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that I really felt, and you wouldn't have seen this in me until, oh, listen, the record listen, but, but I really, um, I really love Tori Amos. Okay. Yeah. All right, let me ask you this. If you could open for anybody, dead or alive, and I mean open from like the standpoint of you get to just be present with them, share a stage with them for one night, anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my word. Austin. What a question. Can I, get, can, I have two, can I have two? Yeah, you can have two. Sure. Okay. It's your world. All right. Well, Dolly Parton. Oh yeah, because she gave me my start, That's and right. I absolutely adore that woman. And it is my hope and dream that I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her to to do something. On, I want to write a song for a project I'm working on. But anyway, so Dolly, because I love her yeah. so much, um, and I think Dead or Alive. Ugh. Hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Weathers. Really? That dude. You know, I just, because he he just passed, mm-hmm. and I got really into his catalog. And, man, his songs. You know, like, we know him for, like, Lean On Me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, wow, he's got some songs that were just so, and his story. I think it's because. Like he just stopped making music. He just stopped, and I just want to know why. Mm. I want to like, I want to know why he stopped because he was so good. And um, I mean, obviously, you know, there's so many. I mean, Stevie sure. Wonder, but there's something about Bill Withers for me that I'm like, there's something about him that I'm just kind of fascinated by him. You know what, Dolly Parton? Does everybody love Dolly? I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm thinking, like, I've never heard anybody that's like, I just don't like Dolly. He's like, who doesn't love Dolly? Who, who, how do you yeah, not like Dolly? Have you listened to the Dolly Parton's America podcast? No. Uh-uh. Oh, my God. Oh, check it out. Know. Okay, Dolly oh, Parton's America. It's like America. radio. So the guy who started Radio Lab, he's mm-hmm. the host. He's the writer. Oh, it's so good. Oh, check it okay. out. Oh, well, yeah. goodness. Thanks for the recommendation. Again, we're here yeah. with Cindy Morgan. Cindy, we've run a little long here. Do you have time for just a couple of more? Yeah, of course. Cool. Uh, what's, your, what's your songwriting process? Well, wait, let me ask you this first. Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Yes. I wrote it on an old, um, it was like an old grand piano that my grandfather had rebuilt. And it was a song called The Sun Is Hot. <laughs> it was very truthful. How old, it was really how, deep. How old were you? <laughs> it was deep. I was five. Five. Oh, five. Isn't that neat to remember that, though? So, yeah, so, I can still play it. Do what? <laughs> I can still play it. Can you really? Oh, yeah. you got to put on oh, a yeah. record, I think. Just think yeah. towards it. Just think towards it. Obviously, you've written a few songs since you were five. What's your songwriting process like today? 
Well, um, you know, it just depends. Like, so if I'm writing for an artist, if I'm writing with an artist, then, um, so for instance, like last, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote with the artist Raylan, who's like a country music artist. And so, so in that situation, and I was writing with her and another writer named Marcus Hummond. I don't know if you know who that is, but he is like a legendary country writer, wrote tons of those big Dixie Chicks songs that were so good um but anyway so i'll try and educate myself on the artist and like you know listen to some of their catalog and find out a little bit about them so that i kind of know what kind of music that they that they're that they've done in the past and um and then i'll um i'll kind of try and like have a couple title ideas concepts and then a couple musical ideas. Um, and so I try, if I'm writing with an artist, and I try and kind of prepare and kind of show up with a couple, because especially if, because a lot of times the artist might come in, I mean, it's always better if, if, the, if the idea originates from them or from a conversation you have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, they don't have anything. They're touring and they're exhausted, you know. So anyway, and um, and so I think that's kind of my process if I'm writing with an artist. And then we have a long conversation about what's going on with them, you know, what in their life, and if there's anything they really want to write about. And then, you know, the conversation turns into a song. Um, if I'm writing for myself, so for instance, um, Today's Monday, right? So yesterday, Sunday morning. So I'm right. I'm working on a project. It's like a, I did a project called Old Testaments Volume One, Autumn and Eve. I did that uh, last year or a few months ago. And so I'm working on Volume Two. And so yesterday morning, it was like, you know, crisp fall morning here in my part of the world. And I just wanted to, I just was like sitting outside and I heard like, a, uh, I heard like a raven huh. call and, uh, and it just made me have all these fall memories, you know? So I just grabbed my guitar and I was just like writing down some things that I was thinking about fall and I just kept, you know, and then I was just playing and then I changed the tuning of my guitar and, you know, and then I got my voice recorder out and then i saying some ideas and then I kept writing you know for me it's a very fluid process like I I just dive all the way in Mm -hmm. I just don't leave it when I'm when I get in a groove like that when I get in the moment I don't leave it until I feel like it lets me loose you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and um and so when I ended up writing this song that I'm so excited about and I didn't even know it's Sunday you know like I'm I'm just outside. I was doing my morning devotions, hmm. and I did not have any intention to write a song yesterday morning. So those are those mornings that I think you kind of, kind of, you know, the Lord gets a hold of you, maybe. And um, but then there are other days when I just I have I get my guitar down and I just, you know, I just okay, I'm gonna play a little bit. And sometimes that turns into maybe I just document a little melody idea. I'm always, always, I have a list on my phone and notes 
of just all the different titles that I have. Like, mm-hmm. so if someone says something, I immediately write it, put it in my doc, in my file, because I know I'm going to forget it. And because I have too many things going on in my life. And then I come back to it. And that happens all the time where I get to come back to that list or a voice memo that I did. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot that I even recorded that, you know. So um, so it's really, I think, for me as a writer, super important to document ideas. Again, we're here with Cindy Morgan. Is it hard to be almost real or honest in your songwriting? Because you're kind of giving yourself away a lot of times through your songwriting is a piece of you. Is it is it hard to be honest or have you just gotten to the point where it's just kind of who you are? Mm. Well, I mean, I think I fair. I mean, I probably, <laughs> <laughs> I probably err on the other side. Like I, I have to, I have to make myself not be so honest. Mm. And so um, if for my own personal writing, and I think, you know, um, I mean, I write a lot of like more folk kind of music now. It's like kind of folk pop. And, and of course, I'm a Christian. And as C.S. Lewis said, you know, there's no Christian way to boil an egg. So like everything I write is infused with God's spirit. You know, I certainly hope so. But but I think that my, I, I always want to be honest. And I never feel ashamed about being honest because I think that's what people want. And that's what I, that's what feeds me mm-hmm. is to write something that does feel honest. Well, as a follower of Christ, is, do you find that your growth in Christ directly correlates, directly correlates with, your, with your voice of having something to say? Hmm. Well, yeah, even if it's like vulnerability of mm-hmm. just being weak, you mm-hmm. know, or, or like failure or, um, you know, I think that the ability to just get real with God and get real with yourself, mm-hmm. um, I think that's probably like, you know, my least favorite thing in music is when I don't feel that I believe it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Again, we're getting ready to wrap up here with Cindy Morgan. Uh, you know, you, you've been playing live music for just a few years now, and um, so many great things happen uh, in in the in the times of live music and, and just on stage or different places we find ourselves playing. But there's also goofy things that happen along the way. Do you have a most embarrassing on stage moment that sticks out? You know, I mean, the way you ask me, it's like you already know. You're just cracking me up. Do you already know? No, I don't know. I just know there is you something. Know? No, no, I just know there's something. You, yes. Anybody that's played music for longer than five minutes, there is an onstage embarrassing moment that, that we have. Yeah. Well, I had two okay. big ones. All right. I want to hear but, them. Oh, well, okay, great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, my only my only regret is one of them doesn't start with when I was Belle on Broadway. <laughs> when I was Belle on Broadway. I know. Oh man! What you got? Yeah, I did. Uh, so okay, so one of the first tours that I that I was like super blessed to do back in the nineties was I opened for the Great Adventure Tour, mm-hmm. and you know that was a massive tour. So it was like big arenas and policy and then I was like 
I mean, I was, I was like Ellie Mae Clampett. I just did not even know what in the world was happening. I, that's such an old reference, but anyway. I'm, I love it. Um, yes. So anyway, um, I had these, and so back in those days, in my first record, so I was like busting a move on stage. You know, I was, I had the headset and I was dancing while I was singing and oh, it was crazy. And so I'm so glad that's over. But anyway, but so it was the first night that I was opening. And of course, you know, Steven's going to watch and the band's all going to watch because they're like, you know, who's the new girl? <laughs> and so I have these new shoes on. Mm-mm. Well, and, you know, they tell you, like, tape the bottoms of your new shoes. So I was out there busting a move and I went down hard, <laughs> <laughs> like almost like a full split. Oh. And, you know, and the band and even they're all in the like wings of the stage just howling <laughs> laughing you know and it's so embarrassing in front of these thousands of people so i made a great first impression did it happen in a way uh, where you could play it off for the crowd no i tried there was no i mean it was just total humiliation and um so yeah so that was great and um and then another time I was opening, oh, sorry, I was singing. This was before I had a record deal, but I was in Nashville and I was singing background vocals with Nicole, Cole, Nicole C. Mullen oh, yeah. before she was Mullen. So she was, she and I were background vocal singers for David Mullen, who became her husband. Oh, okay. And so we were at the Memphis, the Beale Street Music Festival. Oh, yeah. And anyway, so everyone was on stage. I was making my way up the stairs of the stage. And I had these, like, sheer palazzo pants on. (laughs) And then, you know, you just wear, like, tights underneath that. Anyway, I tripped going up Mm -mm. the stairs and um, fell down. And then my palazzo pants came almost all the way off. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of falling down, yeah. okay? So. And there's more than a few people around the Bill Street Music Festival. Oh, there's a couple man. around there. Yeah. And they're so, telling that story. They're, to this day, they're telling that story. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first. Oh, she's Cindy Morgan. Cindy, you've been so great. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire. How's that sound? Okay. All right, here we go. What's your favorite color? Oh, my favorite color is Kelly Green. Uh, well, Robin's Egg Blue, which is kind of like <laughs> Tiffany Blue. Good. I'll, I'll Google this. Robin's Egg Blue. Yeah, but it's like Tiffany Blue. So if you've okay. seen a Tiffany box, of a, the Tiffany box in the, from the jewelry store. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's, okay. that's the color, yeah. That's the most specific favorite color I've ever heard. <laughs> that was great. What's your favorite ice cream? I can't wait for this one. Favorite ice cream? Oh, oh, it's so hard, but man, I want to. I mean, how can I say anything but Moose Tracks? All right. What was your first car? Volkswagen Beetle, because my dad was a Volkswagen mechanic. Oh, that's worked out. Favorite cartoon growing up? Oh, Charlie Brown. Name one of the Seven Dwarfs. 
Say it again. Name one of the seven dwarfs. Oh, sleepy, drowsy, dopey. <laughs> Maybe. <You're> grumpy. <laughs> You've got that one better than anybody. If the toilet paper roll is really low at the house, do you replace it or do you leave it for somebody else? I replace it. Because nobody else. Does. That's what I was gonna say. Your mom, and that's unfortunate. No, I think it's mom. it's kind of a a men men don't, don't even notice the doggone thing. What's the most useless talent you have? <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I I can I play recorder, okay. and um, and I can turn my thumb into a backwards V over the back of my hand. Really. Yeah, I'm looking weird. at my hand trying to, I can't even fathom that. All right. Yeah. What's your favorite junk food? Okay. <laughs> Swiss rolls from Little Debbie. Okay. Swiss I get, I allow myself to buy one box a year. A year? A year. And then I get, a, then I buy it and then I eat. You know, I'll eat half of a half of you know, like one little roll, and then, you know, and then I'll I'll eat a couple from the box, and then I'll like throw them out because then I start feeling bad. <laughs> you have, you have a time machine for one day, all right? When and okay. where? When and where do you go? Mm. Uh, nineteen sixty-three. What What happened then? It was the height of the civil rights mm. movement. Have you been to the Have you been to the uh, museum here in Memphis? Yes. Isn't yes. it amazing? Oh, it's unbelievable! It's amazing. Unbelievable! It's amazing. In the movie about your life, the Cindy Morgan story, who what actress plays you? Oh my gosh! Well, I love uh, Helen Hunt. Yeah, I, I can see her. that. I can see that. Yeah. And the last one, you're off the seat. Something you hate that everyone else loves. <laughs> Australian accent. <laughs> You hate them? <laughs> you hate Australian hate. accents. H A T E hate. Yeah. Is it always been that way? <laughs> yes. I mean, I love the crocodile hunter. I love him, but but oh, I just can't do it. It's too much. Is it is it like to the point like if you meet an Australian person, you're like, I can't do this. I, we can't. It's real. No, no, no. If I'm talking to them and I see them, it's okay. But it's just when you're listening to them, you know, it's like yeah, it's that... just the audio that I'm like, oh, this is so hard. It's. I think it's just so. Um, I just. I think I love the British accents because they're so genteel, and so the Australian accent has so many edges to it. And I think that I'm so audible. That's yeah. I'm so audible that I think the edges bother me. You know, I think you talked me into this. As you described okay. that, I was like, I think I, I think I hate it too, because I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yes. I think I'm pro-British, yes. because it is a little bit abrasive sometimes when they're in that kind of aggressive, like audio type situation. I'm with you. I'm team hate okay. Australian accents too. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, goodness, I feel way better now than when that one started. All right. She's Cindy Morgan. Cindy, you've been a ton of fun today. <laughs> hey, thank you. So have you. you I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for being here. We'll catch you down the line. You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College.
a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes.